Welcome to Lay of the Brand, where we talk with the experts on tech marketing, creative, and PR to learn what's new, what's working, and what's next. I'm Michelle Schaefer of Merit Group, and on this episode, we're looking at marketing to chief information security officers. Most of us in cybersecurity know that marketing and selling to today's CISO is not easy. They have an unprecedented amount of work and conflicting priorities on their plates, making it extremely difficult for anyone, let alone a vendor trying to sell them something, to grab their attention. To reveal how B2B cybersecurity companies can better reach elusive CISOs, Merit Group partnered with Tech Exec Networks, an information security networking and relationship marketing firm, to survey leading CISOs to find out what influences their buying behavior and triggers a sale. To look into the results and find out what CISOs really want to hear from marketers, I'm joined today by Marcy McCarthy, CEO and President of 10, and Sujit Bambawale, CISO of 7-Eleven. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having me. Yes, we really appreciate you guys taking some time. And thank you, Marcy, for being a great uh, part of this report that we've put out the last few years. So as you know, our survey showed that 64% of CISOs rely on peer-to-peer communication to make buying decisions. But what are some other sources that are important to CISOs and how do you find them? Sujit, do you want to take that one? Certainly, thank you. Sources of information, and uh, I think that your report called these out very well. We certainly look at, I certainly look at blog posts. And I'd like to take a minute to show you my workflow or describe my workflow on how I get to that blog post. The most popular blog post that gets my attention, the most popular kind of blog post that gets my attention uh, has been the threat intelligence blog post, uh, which means there is a threat hunting team or some sort of intelligence uh, team within perhaps a vendor organization or a security vendor organization that has found and contributed to um, finding malware or finding and busting some sort of cyber criminal group. Abstracting that and stepping a few steps back, I think what influences me the most and leads me to a blog post is something that is done for the community or for the information security community as a whole. I have found that I have been more and more interested and attracted to uh, community-based posts like threat intelligence, women in security, um, and other community engagements like that, which then say hiring has gone up, diversity has gone up, and just adding to the intelligence value within information security. Those are the kind of blog posts that get my attention. And then if they lead me to that solution provider's um, specific solution, specific product, that happens organically. That's great to hear. And, you know, for the longest time, we've seen many vendors um, put out their own threat intel blogs. And I think that information sharing aspect has been so huge for the cybersecurity community for a very long time. So it's really good to hear that that's what you're looking at very closely. Marcy, did you have any thoughts on blogs or, you know, different types of, you know, marketing materials that that you're seeing CISOs really like or, you know, pay attention to? I think there's also an aspect of peer networking and not having peer groups out there, whether it's through your professional network. 
And I know we're a little limited right now being in COVID, but the value of getting together in informative or kind of um, informal, I should say, type of meetings like on Zoom for like a ISC cocktails and conversation is a great example of how people are still staying connected, uh, learning about the latest technologies, sort of bouncing ideas and staying top of trend. Um, and just, and they also, uh, I'm also hearing a lot about on social media. So there seems to be a lot more uptick in activity on LinkedIn, for example, with articles and people are posting their own articles and their own kind of thoughts out there, not necessarily always bringing everything to a blog page, but if they are having a blog out there, they're using the social media to bring eyeballs and conversation to their blog but using LinkedIn, for example, as a way to have that conversation in a more public form, because to find that blog post might take a little bit of um, uh, art form or, you know, locating it uh, and you might not have heard it, but optimizing it and creating a social media brand and presence for yourself can definitely help extend your peer network in a way to bounce ideas and then leveraging uh, you know, without having to exchange true contact information, but in a conversation type of mode, you could have set up some group chats uh, within LinkedIn Messenger, for example, to sort of have that informal conversation. I have found over the years that the informal references and conversations is the strongest way with, uh, via building a professional network and a total value out of building a professional network. And again, we're having to be a little bit more creative now because our in-person events are sort of limited, but taking that to the social media platform and building a brand and um, making an investment of time out there uh, to engage is definitely how I'm seeing a lot of people staying connected as well as a lot learning new trends and technologies. Absolutely, and I couldn't agree more. Social media has been such a game changer um, for so many folks to connect and really help amplify whatever it is that you're trying to get out there um, and really just be part of the conversation. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit to news sources, um, you know, in terms of where CISOs are getting their information. You know, obviously the news landscape is flooded every day with lots of different headlines of breaches and threats. Um, you know, how much are you relying upon just general news sources? or are you going to you know, vendor websites or white papers? Marcy, please. I'm seeing an overwhelming aspect of news overload and then the aspect of some people just turning it off. Um, with the onslaught of COVID um, and the sort of depressing nature about it, uh, I know I had to turn it off all news sources for quite a while to stay sane and focused um, and just actually just put on music for some of the part of my day, uh, just to stay sane um, and stay focused on what I was doing. Um, but I certainly realized that's sort of isolating and cutting yourself out. But I think what I also learned to do during this time period, um, and I've seen our, our customers do this and the other security executives do this out there, is tailor how they're getting their news and timing it to when they want to receive it. So. Being a little bit more creative, if you have a, like an iPhone or an iPad um, or your LinkedIn or anything like that, you can actually customize what news sources that come to you and subscribe to them um, overall. And then you can opt out of news sources that are just not appropriate or what your appetite uh, overall. 
and then um, and limit the amount of you know breaking news that is kind of blowing up your phone. It's kind of can be very distracting and overwhelming. And I also see that people are consuming news through social media as well, and not necessarily um, watching or reading it. So you have as a publisher, you have to be a little bit more creative of how you're going to get your content out there and how it is consumed um, overall. And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of folks turn to salacious headlines. So you have the clickbait kind of happening. Um, but you also have um, a lot of people upset over paid walls, you know, that sort of uh, prevent you from seeing a lot of the content. And I know that the news providers out there have to make their money. So advertising, um, you know, is one way, but certainly having a paywall is another. But if you're going to put your content behind a paywall, it better be some really good content because there's alternate ways to get it or people will just move on because they're not willing to do the paywall. I'll tell you what tracks with me. I'll break it down to some very tactical examples. When I see social media or when I see videos in social media, I'm attracted and use those videos that have closed captioning at the bottom because then I can see them. If Even if it's news, I can consume them. Uh, let's say when I'm walking around, when I'm on the treadmill, something like that. So it becomes very portable. It doesn't want me to be at a certain place. Um, when I look at social media articles or any other kind of articles, what gets my attention is the articles that take the time to say TLDR, right? So here's what I'm going to talk about and here's the long form. And I really look for the summary at the top to see if this is something that's worth my time. But to answer your question more pointedly, the group chats to Marcy's point um, and other closed forums, perhaps within peers that send out the link saying, have you seen this? Or does this affect you? Those are the two that will get instant eyeballs. So if I were to put them together, if I were to put these few things together, right? what typically happens in a news consumption cycle for me is I learn about something via a referral from the peer group or from the peer fabric. Or it'll be a website like Threat Post or something, which is kind of breaking news and information security. Very tactical, but breaking news and information security. Then the discussion about solutioning will be more organic because you can't trust just one source. So you're bouncing off a few sources the minute you establish relevance. So the minute I think, oh, this could be relevant to me, now I'm bouncing off of three or four or five reputed sources that I use regularly and perhaps at least a few peers to say, is this relevant in our context? And then to take it and bridge this to solution, what I do is I look at the narrative that is built by even a vendor quasi-marketing white paper that says we address this problem at scale with this technology. See, that is very important because I'm not necessarily looking at point solutions for point problems. 
I'm looking for solutions being solved at scale. I'm not disparaging like custom development, but you can have custom development to built to fit or tailored to fit your own small problem that is caused by a vulnerability, that is caused by an exploit, that is caused by a weaponized whatever, right? Uh, what really attracts me is someone says, okay, I understand it and I have solved it at scale and it's available because the key problem is on our roadmap. When it's on the roadmap, it's hard to determine at first glance whether it is available immediately or it's going to take another three or four months to get to market. And sometimes I know in the back of my head that I'm going to be asked for a sustainable solution before those three months are out. So the best communication is there is a new problem or a new variant of a problem that comes to me via a news source, a, a credible news source, via some sort of tactical escalation or from a peer group fabric. Then an existing vendor or existing set of vendors says the way our solution is built already addresses this or can address this at scale with minimal changes. That is a great way to go from finding news to digging into news and then reaching a specific vendor or multiple vendor solutions that could be a snap fit. That actually sounds like a great approach and I'm glad that that's um, been successful for you. And it's a really good segue into kind of my next question around how vendors should or should not approach a CISO like you, Sujit. I know this is top of mind for a lot of sales and marketing folks. So I would love to hear your thoughts or any advice that you have. I like the empathetic approach. Um, and what I mean by empathy is I respect the sales cycle. I respect that the sales, the marketing and the revenue cycle, I understand it. Uh, it pays most of our paychecks. So, you know, mad respect to sales folks, uh, I don't think I could do what they do, honestly. You know, it's just a lot of really hard work. Um, on the flip side, we are humans as well in, in the CISO community. We have the same 24 hours in a day and we have the same human responsibilities and human things to do uh, with, with those 24 hours in a day. Um, the interests are somewhat orthogonal in which you know, they want us to first share our time and then our money. Uh, and we, on the other hand, want to apply it most to safeguarding our interests. But that said, um, I think the empathetic approach is the best. So in the current conditions where, you know, people are sitting literally days on end, um, you know, from morning to late in the evenings, just because there is no need to go to another meeting room. There is no need to go to another conference room. There is no need to go to another office, right? It's all here. And I have found myself sitting down for the complete day. In such cases, an empathetic approach would be a salesperson saying, hey, I'm going to take only 45 minutes of our 60-minute session. And I'm going to give you 15 minutes back. Now, those 15 minutes at that point are far more valuable to me than any tchotchke or any, you know, gift or whatever it is, you know, that comes t-shirt or whatever that comes along with it. 
right? So I think uh, it's just the empathetic approach. I think that when people call us at like 8 a.m. in the morning or 7 p.m. in the evening, they have to understand that we have to keep our phones open because security without an open front door is bad security. And I know that's odd because security should be closed doors. Uh, but you know we have to partner with the community, right? And I can't just turn off my phone because anybody could be calling. It could be a customer with a problem. It could be an employee with a problem. It could be a bug bounty hunter, a responsible disclosure person, right? Who's calling me to say, hey, I found this with your company's security posture. So just because it's an unknown number doesn't mean that I'm going to ignore it, right? But that on the other side should not be abused. So, you know, if you have my cell phone number, just text me ahead of time and say, hey, I'm going to call you about this. Um, catching me by surprise doesn't help you or me. So, um, you know, I think these are small kind of, I, I just call them empathetic human things that can change the tone of the relationship and to build new ones. Um, and my final suggestion is, you know, um, build on the social fabric. So um, if you tell me that I've already talked to CISO A, B, C, D, and E, that's Sujit, I know you kind of converse with or hang with on a regular basis, right? You've kind of solved that part of my problem already, right? Because you know I'm going to reach out to them. And if you've already kind of name dropped them to me in, in a good way to say, you know, hey, check with them. We've just had a conversation or whatever. You're, you're kind of building and you're kind of going into my workflow already, which is then saying, okay, this guy or gal has taken some time to research how I work, has recognized that I'm a nerd and I like the data or, you know, or, or whatever it is, right? Has kind of taken the pains to research how I speak, how I talk, how what kind of data I typically need from vendors and is coming prepared with it. So I think that really helps. Um, I realize a lot of cold calls are the, just the nature of the industry, but those three things are what I would do in my ideal world to have that conversation be more positive. And I think that actually lines up really well with what we found in our survey, which was that 34% of CISOs said that vendors have a better chance of success um, by doing some homework and really understanding uh, the CISOs problems. And I really like that you mentioned, you know, having an empathetic approach because Right now, we all need to have that, no matter what field you're in. Um, this is unprecedented times. And um, I think, you know, really, you know, understanding that time is valuable for everyone. Um, and your point about giving you those 15 minutes back uh, really helps. Marcy, I know you're on the front lines with a lot of CISOs. What are you hearing in terms of just how vendors should or shouldn't approach a CISO? So I'm hearing a myriad of different things. Um, first and foremost, the work-life balance has really been challenged for a lot of folks. Uh, so while we thought we have eliminated the commute by working remotely, we're actually working a lot of instances longer hours. And we've also discovered that a lot of people that are uh, not necessarily in the location in which their company headquarter might be. So they might have already been commuting or they found another alternate location that would be more amenable to their families and how they're, you know, so they could be, let's say, in one time zone uh, versus another time zone. So to have the knowledge, if you are going to do some outreach in terms of calling um, and having that or a meeting request, be respectful of the time zone 
that the person that is going to be on the other end uh, and where they're located. So don't request a meeting at nine o'clock in the morning uh, East Coast time and expect six o'clock in the morning to be an acceptable time on the West Coast. And but make those but take the time to ask, you know, don't just assume that because a company's headquartered in XYZ and then the person might not be in that location. So taking that extra step to ask. Also good communication skills. Um, first and foremost, certainly we don't have a lot of chances right now for small talk, but taking just a minute to ask how somebody truly is and what's kind of going on. Um, we'll take a little bit of, we'll go extra miles uh, because some people just want to tell you, you know, that their day is going well or maybe not going well, or they just miss something about being in person. So just have that little bit of what Saji talked about, but empathy, but just sort of a little bit of small talk is still can go a long, a long way and it's not a waste of time. Um, so when you're communicating with somebody, be thoughtful of how you communicate and be empathetic as Saji talked about, but um, also be very good communicator. So you wanna almost over communicate a little bit in that uh, using time zones and meeting expectations, uh, a lot of us are tethered to our desks right now on, on Zoom calls. So put an agenda forth. And, you know, Saji talked about giving 15 minutes back of your call. But even think about making the calls even shorter to, let's say, 30 minutes. You really need a full hour of somebody's time. And if you can accomplish something in 45 minutes, I bet I would challenge you to be able to accomplish the same thing in um, maybe 30 minutes or even less. But that's because you being prepared for the call and not try to wing a call overall. So actually have a clear cut agenda and what's to be expected, um, you know, and who should be on the call. And like we all should be in the real world, try to be on time because there's nothing worse than sitting there on Zoom by yourself or you're the last person on the meeting. Now, I certainly understand that there's exceptions to the rules, but be respectful of other people's time. There's nothing worse than you having a 30 minute call and it, whether it's, you know, on a conference call or on Zoom, and it still really starts 10 minutes late. So that having the small chat and being present is different than being not there at all and having that 10 minutes. So you really have to be thoughtful and respectful um, overall and limit the calling of people on the phone because most times they're going to be in a meeting. So if you happen to have the cell phone number, perhaps think about um, using text and being very ultimately clear what you're texting about. So, you know, where's my PO is not gonna really cut the mustard. Uh, can I get an hour of your time? Is not gonna cut your mustard. Be very prepared and thoughtful what you're asking of somebody. Um, so be specific from the time period, what's being expected of them and be concise um, and precise. I love all of that, Marcy. That is so important. Good reminders, I mean, it is difficult in this atmosphere because we are sitting on the phone, Zooms all day long. And, you know, like I said, time is valuable. So, um, you know, really being prepared. In terms of materials that you like to prepare with, um, just for, you know, your vendor interaction, Sujit, is there any one particular type of, you know, content that you like best? Um, just, you know, if a vendor sends like a white paper or a video, um, you know, what do you prefer, I guess? You know, white paper means something very important to me. Uh, you know, just engineering degrees and people who, you know, wrote a lot of white papers in college, right? We, uh, we cherish white papers, right? And I think that the vendor white paper has now kind of morphed into something slightly different. 
Um, I'm not against white papers. I'm very much supportive of data and customer case studies and insights. Um, I really like infographics uh, because they really tell a perhaps a long story in a short, easy to consume way. So with regards to materials, um, long slide decks have never helped. Uh, whether it is sent ahead of time or used during a presentation. Um, what I've found good um, approaches recently is people have done a very creative way of, uh, you know, packaging a small video file. And uh, I don't know if I can mention the product. I think it's called Loom or, or something like that. Uh, and what it does is it really puts like a bubble with your live camera feed and you're navigating the interface. And that becomes a video file and they send it. It was very interesting because it was a person literally using the interface of a security solution. And it's almost like a tutorial way saying we could do this. It was a very short uh, sound and video clip and that really worked for me because you know, it answered the question, it, it gave me the detail that I was looking for and it said, okay, if this is mature to the point that a video file can be created and shipped off to a person, then it's really well baked. So um, if you must write white papers, try to summarize at the start uh, and then give the data at the end. Um, if you must give case studies, we don't want names. You know, most people or many companies are hesitant to give their names, that's fine. But try to give a good sense of their vertical um, revenue and employee count. And I'm not trying to kind of insinuate my way into knowing who they were. But you see, we have to map them to us, right? Uh, benchmarks are very helpful. Benchmarks are extremely helpful. Uh, so if you can lead with that, that is good. Um, and, you know, if there are specific things in your solution that you think are amazing, exhibit that passion. You know, say that we created a competing platform in A, B, and C respects. But this specific thing is what we are really proud of, right? And passion is, you know, very powerful. So I would really like it if, you know, somebody said, you know, I want to show you this, these three small things from our offering that we think are awesome, new, and unique, right? So um, just let the passion come through. Um, don't kill us with slides um, because it's really counterproductive. Yeah, it's difficult to sit through 50 slide presentations, um, which actually leads me to another good point around, you know, webinars. Um, and obviously with, you know, COVID and the lack of being able to meet folks in person, um, you know, we don't know when that's going to come back in terms of face-to-face -face events. How are webinars doing? Are you feeling like those are pretty useful? And I'm sure, Marcy, you've been doing them and you've been on them as well. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it as well. What we have learned is um, the digital side of things, there's costs associated with it, certainly eliminates sort of your venue and your travel costs. But there's a whole production side that a lot of people don't really realize that goes into it. And it's almost similar to what a TV show might go in terms of production. So you have to both uh, have the financial resources as well as plan ahead. Uh, if you're going to go into a full-scale production of a conference type of an awards gala type of program format to have it sort of interesting and meaningful and we also learned is you've got to go quick um so your your panel is only 
15 minutes. Uh, your showcase presentation is only 15 minutes. So people have to keep changing and moving much like they do in person, but the format has to be stimulating so that they're just not static. You cannot expect somebody to sign on for Zoom for two days straight and be engaged and even want to participate in a program. So really be thoughtful of how, if you're going to do an extended program, you've got to really make it interactive, engaging, and change the formats overall. So we're looking at 2021 uh, with some hybrid approaches. We actually had a, a, a webinar just a little while ago, and we talked about doing even some hybrid dinners where we sort of take the cocktails and conversation format and still project that to those um, with an Uber Eats kind of function where they're eating and drinking with us and participating in the conversation. And then for those that are comfortable in person or the location's ideal for them, uh, they can come and uh, be with us in person so we can still be collectively together. But there's still some challenges for people to come in person. They may have family members that are elderly or they have compromised um, health or pre-existing conditions. So we want to be really sensitive to the different um, challenges that people have, but we're certainly committed. We are a relationship marketing company and we want to bring people together again to connect, collaborate, and celebrate. Absolutely. I'm hopeful that you know, in time, we can all get back together in person. But for the, the time being, one other question I have on my mind is demos, product demos, and how those have been going, um, you know, with vendors doing them remotely. And um, if that's something that has been going well, Suji, just in your experience. I think so. I think product demos have been going well. You know, my preference for be it a product demo or be it a webinar has been that it tracks best for me if there is a collective set of data, experience or expertise. So Marcy's events bring together a lot of very smart people into one event and it's really good to learn from the conversation. Um, similarly, whether it's a product demo or any other kind of uh, related event, when they're unpacking let's say an aggregated report or something like that, and you want to understand the trends and the insights, it's a very lean in engagement for me. For product demos, um, it's very good to see it up close, almost without the other person in the room. It's very good to see the screens up close and be able to ask those questions up close. Um, I will admit though that um, the more screens that you have, the lesser your attention span is. That is actually really great advice. Um, and I think it just kind of is part of the world we're living in right now. It's this yeah. information overload. So, you know, simplifying, being clear, you know, being passionate, as you mentioned earlier about, you know, product features that you really want to point out, I think are really good tips for vendors who are looking to get your attention and talk to you. Um, and I know I've taken a lot of your time. So just to, um, you know, kind of put a wrapper on it, any other Thoughts about the relationship between CISOs and security vendors or any last minute advice or something that we didn't touch on? Remember that both sides of the equation are people too and be sensitive to uh, both sides of the equation. So certainly salespeople and marketers, especially salespeople have quotas to fill, but you also don't know what the challenges are on the other side of the coin. Um, and then for the CISOs, I know you can't talk to everybody uh, and be amenable. So really the true value of relationships comes to rise to the top, uh, especially in our industry because trust is tantamount. 
I'd love to add to that, if I may. I've, I've seen that, you know, like wine, these things get better with time, right? So a vendor rep who may have known me five roles ago starts knowing exactly how I work and what solutions I'm looking for and what's the interest with which I'm looking for a solution or asking for a solution, kind of married with their own career arc, right? leads to being excellent fit phone calls from kind of role three, four, five onwards, right? So perhaps they were younger in their, in their career than as was I, right? And now they've kind of known me, they kind of know what works for me. They know if I'm calling in, an, in a certain tone of voice, this is something that I need very quickly. And they've also got that trust with me to say, Sujit, the company I'm working with right now uh, that will address only part of your solution because they know that they don't want to sell me half a solution and kind of lose that trust, but much rather, you know, keep the trust. And when they get to that snapshot solution, they have that relationship with me to say, Sujit, you've got to take this right now and I'll take them seriously. Right. So I, I think it does mature with time. So uh, you should let that breathing room be there. I couldn't agree more. I've been talking with Sujit Bambawale, CISO of 7-Eleven, and Marcy McCarthy, CEO and President of 10. Thank you both for sharing your ideas with us. And thank you for joining us. Lay of the Brand is brought to you by Merit Group, an integrated strategic communications firm that blends the best of PR, marketing, and creative to help our clients tell their stories and build business. Got a topic suggestion or want to share feedback? Subscribe to Lay of the Brand on your preferred listening platform and leave us a review. And please spread the word and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in as well. To learn more about Merit Group, check out layofthebrand.com.